Have you ever played? Have you ever played hide and seek with a two or three year old? If you have, and you're competitive, if you're competitive in doing that, you're going to win every time. Imagine playing with a a two or three year old. Most times, you're not competitive. You're actually filled with grace. See, here's the here's the reality. Here's what's true about that. Uh, two and three year olds stink at playing hide and seek. Uh, let, let me give an example. Maybe you have some some uh, as well. But but when I've done that, uh, a two or three year old usually will will take off and they will uh, they will hide in a corner. They'll go and stick their head in a corner, and since they can't see you, they assume you can't see them. Or they'll crawl under a bed. Uh, just far enough to get their head under the bed and their bottom and their legs are sticking out. And again, they can't see you, so they assume you can't see them. And one of my, my favorite ones is they will, they, they will run up on a bed and crawl under the covers. Uh, and again, being under those covers, uh, even though there's a, a visible lump in the bed, uh, assume that you can't see them. Now, now here's the reality. You, you go to find them and, you look and they're right there in the corner or you walk into the bedroom, which you know is their one place they go and there they are, their legs are out or, or one of my favorites when they do crawl under the, the covers, uh, you go into the room and, and, and almost inevitably you walk, at least with my grandkids, you walk into the room, they hear you come in and they begin to giggle. So, so even if you didn't somehow see that lump, the giggle would give it away. And I remember with one of my grandsons, he was hiding under the covers and, and, and I pretended like I didn't see him and started to walk out and I said, well, I guess Reed's not in here. And he answered, yes, I am, Papa. I'm under the covers. So, so they stink at hide and seek at that age because they just don't get it. They don't understand that most of their hiding spots uh, just aren't that great. <laughs> they, they think they're good, but they're, they're almost always visible to us. Uh, and, and they don't understand that, that as an adult, we've, we've been there before. We, we, we not only know all of their hiding places, uh, we, we can see them every time. It's not a challenge for us. It's really just entertainment. See, our perspective as an adult is different than it is uh, from a, the eyes of a two or three year old. If you have your Bibles here this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter four. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in the pew back or under the, the chairs in the back in front of you. Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter four. Last week we started, uh, this, uh, th- this idea we're going to be talking about today and actually we're going to finish it up next week. Th- this idea from from Hebrews chapter 2 and cha- and chapter 4, where it tells us, and this is what we talked about last week, is that Jesus shares our humanity. Actually, both chapter 2 and chapter 4 lets us, uh, lets us in on that secret. So last week we, we pointed out that, that Jesus had to pay a price, uh, and, and the price that he paid was he gave up his throne, which literally was is the very presence with God. He gave up his power, the power to be protected from temptation, to be protected from evil. He gave that all up when he came to earth. And then the obvious one, the big one, is he gave up his life. And we pointed out that that he had a purpose in in sharing our humanity, and that purpose was to destroy Satan's power. Satan's power over death and also to set us free. So last week, we learned that Jesus shares our humanity 
And today in chapter four, we're going to see, actually, we're going to see that Jesus or that the writer here talks that God plays hide and seek with us, sort of. And we're going to see that Jesus shares his divinity with us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter four, and we're going to start with verse 13, Hebrews chapter four, verses 13 through 16. And notice what he says there. Nothing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a a great high priest who has ascended into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus not only shared uh, our humanity, became like us so that he could understand us, he also shares with us his divinity. Last week, last week we talked about a couple things that, that theologically were a little bit deep, and, and we didn't stay there long because I, I, I couldn't explain it much, but, but the reality is that there's a trinity, that Jesus is part of, of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus was as part of that trinity, as part of that Godhead was with God at creation. But, but he gave that up. He separated himself from that and became fully human when he came to earth. But at the same time, he is also fully divine. He kept, he kept while, while he was on earth, he kept his godly nature while at the same time being fully human. We mentioned last week that as fully human, Jesus was, Jesus was subject to experiencing things that we experience. So let, let me illustrate that real quick and then we'll move on. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter. We know that from scripture. His, 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 uh, his father Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. And, and, and I guess, now we, we don't know this. Nothing in scripture tells us definitely which is true of this, but, we could we could possibly assume that as a carpenter, Jesus tapped into his uh, divine side, his divine nature. You could make that assumption. So, in other words, Jesus, if he was a divine carpenter, he was perfect. His carpentry was better than uh, than the Amish. I mean, we, we could assume that he did that, but but we know that Scripture says we know that Scripture says he was tempted in every way like us yet without sin. So, so I tend to believe that as a carpenter, Jesus, however that happened, whether, whether it was self-imposed or God imposed, I don't think he was a divine carpenter. I I think he was good, but I don't think he, I don't think he was perfect. So, so imagine this, Jesus probably just like us, if he was hammering on a dowel rod into a piece of furniture and missed the rod and, and hit his thumb, can you imagine, and actually I want you to imagine Jesus dropping the hammer and jumping and, oh, that hurts. Now, now scripture also says he was without sin, so he didn't cuss. You know, he didn't say some of the words that maybe we might say if we did that. I imagine there were times that Jesus picked up a a, a board, and 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 the boards they had would not have been smooth. And well, we can't find hardly find smooth boards anymore. But but I I imagine there were times he picked up a board and he ran a splinter in his hand. And when he did, he dropped the board and reached down like, wow, 
wow, that smarts, and pull that splinter out. Jesus was fully human. Here's where it gets a, a little bit deep, but yet at the same time, at the same time, he was fully God. We, I read this last week. I'm going to go back and re-read it and actually add a couple more verses to it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter two, and I'm going to read verses six through eleven, and and it's going to describe a little bit about how how Jesus was divine while he was here on earth. In fact, let me. I'm going to back up and read verse five because because if you don't have this underlined in your Bibles, verse five is one you definitely want to underline. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, so verse five says, "Be like Jesus. Have his his way of thinking," and, and then it be it describes that mindset. Who, being in the very nature God, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that word in a second. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being like, uh, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Greek which this uh, Philippians was written in uses a very specific word when it you when it says nature when it uses and, and is uh, translated nature it it has the idea of something that is is unchangeable so so when it says uh, that he was in the nature God and later on it says he was in the nature a servant that 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 has the idea of something that just is and doesn't change. Let me let me give an example. I, uh, Reed and I have three daughter-in-laws. On occasion, uh, our daughter-in-laws have all uh, came to Rita. Uh, sometimes all together, maybe they're in the room and they 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 jump in and and all make a similar comment and and have made a comment to Rita something like uh, like this. They, they will complain about their husband, our our sons. And you got to be careful when you're complaining to a mother about their sons, but. But in this case, Rita uh, is is with them. They'll they'll make some comment about the way my boys act, or the way they react, or the way they talk, or some of the things that they do. And usually, Rita will look at me, and 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 I and will say something like, "I I know what you're saying. I I feel your pain." Uh, and, and what she literally says is this: she says, and she shakes her head. They're a champ. And, that, and like their father, yeah. He was like his father. They're, they're a champ. What, what she really means is good luck. You're not going to be able to change who they are. Now, now I bet there's a couple ladies here that have said, well, they're a Cosman. Or, or they're a Wettstein. Jennifer, you ever said that? Well, they're a Wettstein. <laughs> Uh, pick, pick the last name, uh, pick the last name and it's probably been said, but what, what that is, there, there's certain things, sometimes it's not so good, but, but there's certain things about us that, that are just who we are. And that's what he was talking about in Philippians, that he was the nature in, in, in his very nature, God, that, 
That meant he was fully God. So even when he came to earth and he took on the form of a human, so he became like us, felt like us, hurt like us, got tired like us, all those things we talked about last week. But at the same time, he was fully God. He couldn't lose that. And because there, because there was a unique mixture of Jesus being both fully human and fully God, who humbly came to earth, uh, to, to break down that barrier, to, to bridge that gap, Jesus shares his divinity. And, and it impacts us in three ways. I'm going to look at one of those ways today and we'll look at two of them next week. Let's, let's look at that first impact. And we see that from verse 13, that God is all knowing. Let me read verse 13 again. I'll be honest. Now, now maybe you won't take it this way. This is the way I take verse 13 when I read it. Uh, when I read verse 13, it's not really encouraging. I read verse 13 and I'm like, yikes. I don't know that I like verse 13. I love verses 14 to 16, but verse 13, I'm not so sure. Let me, let me read that and see if your response is the same. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He knows what you did last summer. Oh, that's a movie. What, he knows what, what, he knows what you've done. He knows what you've thought. He knows where you've been. He knows the secrets of your heart. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. This, this verse isn't getting any better. Uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. And now it gets even worse to whom we must give account. God is all knowing. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? God is all-knowing. In, in fact, we can look at verse 13, and there's two ways that we can interpret it. Uh, because God sees everything, because God is all-knowing, because our life is going to be laid bare before Him, we're going to have to give it out. We can, we can look at that verse and take it two different ways. Here's one of the ways that we can take it. We can't hide. We can't hide. We, we can't hide from him. See, see, it's like we are the two-year-old playing hide and seek. And we might think we can hide in the corner and God won't see us. Or we can crawl under a bed and God won't know what we were thinking. Or we can crawl under the covers and that lump in the bed won't be noticed and God will never know the deep desires of our heart. We, we somehow think that we can, that, that we can hide from 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 God, but we can't. See, it reminds us of Genesis chapter three, uh, verse eight. You remember uh, early in uh, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve had had succumbed to temptation, and they suddenly knew the definition of good and evil. They understood that, and they realized they were naked, and they covered themselves. And verse eight says, "Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day." And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Uh, we, we, we try to hide from God. Sometimes we think we can hide from God. Uh, so, so, so we can read this, we, we can read this verse and, and it can have a negative uh, effect on us. Uh, we, we can read it and it can scare us, but, but, but let me pause and make two, uh, two, two comments before we go on to the next point. Num- number one, number one, this is not how this verse is intended to, 
cause us to react. So, so just know there's some good news coming that, that, that the writer, when he put that verse, when he laid that out there, and it's a reality, it's a truth that God sees everything. God knows us where our lives are going to be laid bare to him. That's true. But, but that's not how he wants us to take this verse. There's actually some great news that we're going to see in here, but, but also don't, don't miss this. I, I'm going to stay with it just a hair. It is okay for us, and it probably is spiritually healthy for us to understand and realize that that it, that's correct. We can't hide from God. We can close our, our eyes. We can close our spiritual eyes and pretend like God doesn't know, but he does. Uh, in, in fact, if you want to look at some scripture in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it says... Uh, it says this. Well, let me get the right verse here. Okay. First Corinthians four, five. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from the Lord. And, and look over in second Corinthians. I, I noticed in my, uh, in my notes, I, I, I didn't put second Corinthians there, but second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 says this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of God, of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. And, and, and turn over to Matthew chapter 12, if you will. Matthew chapter 12 speaks to us. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, it says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be content, condemned. So, so, so God does see it all. Let, let me illustrate. When our oldest, when our oldest boy Brian was just a, a, a little kid, two or three years old, his mother caught him doing something that he wasn't supposed to. I don't remember what it was, but but it was something that he thought he had got away with. He thought that she didn't see or that she didn't know about, and she called him on it. And uh, and 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 by by his reaction, she could tell that he he had no idea. How did you know I took that cookie, or how did you know I hit my brother? What are, what it was? And this was Rita's response to him. She said, Brian. I've got eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> Moms, any of you ever said that before? She said, I've got eyes in the back of my head. And Brian's eyes got really big. Uh, uh, in fact, he ended up distorting that phrase. And, and when his brother got a little bit older, Joel, you know, he told Joel and he told other people, my mom's got back eyes. My mom's got back eyes. I think he was what, probably high school. Um, because there were a couple times he didn't know that he had gotten in trouble, and we knew before he got home what he had done. And and so I think even a sophomore in high school, he thought, "Mom's got back eyes." Uh, see, see, God, God really does see us. If 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 He is the God that could create the universe and hold it into existence, if He's the God that can create you and hold you in His hand. It really doesn't take a whole lot of faith or a whole lot of understanding to realize, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe he can see what I do. So, so yes, our life will be laid bare before God. It can't be hidden. But that's not what verse 13 is all about. 
That if we read that by itself, we don't go on. That that verse does kind of scare us. But there's some good news. There's a different way that he wants us to take this and, and catch this. The the second way we can interpret that. Now this is going to be odd. It seems like it's saying exactly opposite of this. But but what verse thirteen really tells us is that we can't fail. We can't fail. And I know you're thinking, how do you get that? From there, if you will, uh, look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. I'm just going to read one word. Therefore. I've said this before. I know you know it, but let me just kind of remind you. uh, When you see the word therefore, you always ask your question, ask the question, what's it there for? Um, uh, What, what does it mean? Therefore always points backwards. So, so it, it's saying because I've said this, this is going to be true. So listen to what I've, Listen to what I'm going to say, and when you do, go back and remember what I just said, because they are they are tied together. Uh, so, so because God is all knowing, and because He's going to see everything that we do, what does He want us? What does He want us to know? Does He want us to be scared? Is that why verse 13 is there? Be scared? Does He want us to be intimidated? Man, I can't do anything. God's going to know anything I do. Does he want us to live guilt-ridden, defeated lives? Man, God sees everything. He's always looking. Is that what he wants or does he want us does he want us to have a high priest? Does he want us to know we have a high priest who empathizes with us? Does he want us to know that that our high priest, our savior is one that 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 when we're like, "Man, I blew it. I got I hit my thumb and I said words that I'm, I'm ashamed of. Does he want us to realize we have a high priest that says, yeah, I, I know what that's like. Now, now I didn't say those bad words, but, but I was tempted to and I know exactly what you're feeling. I empathize with you. Uh, does he want us to know that we have a high priest who has been tempted just like us? So when we're tempted with anger or selfishness or or lust or whatever it is that we have a high priest that says, yep, been there, done that. And we have a high priest who, even though he was tempted, did not sin. A high priest who was without sin. Now, now you have to remember this, this letter. We started two weeks ago, mentioned this, that this letter was written to Jewish Christians. So they... As they're hearing it, as they're reading it, they, they would have been thinking from a Jewish mindset. So when they came to verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, they would have said, that's right. They would have said, you bet, I, I get that. I'm a sinner and God knows everything wrong that I've ever done. I can't hide from God. You are 100% right. But notice, Notice that immediately following 13, verse 14 comes in. So he says, look back to what I just said. God sees it all. He knows it all. You're going to be laid bare. But, but, he knows my sin. He knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows my secrets. He knows my failures. He knows what I hide from everyone else. He knows. And yet, he doesn't turn away in disgust. He doesn't sit in judgment. Isn't that, isn't that what verses 14 to 16 are telling us? He doesn't turn away like, man, I can't stand the sight of you. He doesn't judge us. Instead, he empathizes with us. 
He doesn't turn his back on us. He understands. So even though our lives are laid bare in front of God, he knows everything and he understands because Jesus not only shares his humanity, Jesus brings his divinity and shares that with us. What Jesus did by coming to earth and sharing our humanity was to pull back the veil. Pull back the veil of heaven and invite us into relationship with his divinity. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says this, Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. See, God is all-knowing. And we can concentrate on a couple different things. We can, we can realize that God is all knowing and concentrate on the fact that we can't hide. Let, let that defeat us. Let that discourage us. Let that scare us. Let that uh, be, become our, our thought. And, and yeah, we, we should realize that. We should understand that. We should buy into that. But, but that's not what he really wants us to get. Instead, he knows everything. And yet we have the freedom of knowing that we can't fail in his eyes. Back in March, uh, when all the craziness of, oops, all the craziness of COVID hit my, uh, my son's school along with, uh, Troy School and D West and Riverside and everyone else in the nation, I guess, uh, shut their doors. Uh, my, my son teaches at Liberty High School, teaches science in the high school and, and they transition from in-person teaching to virtual teaching. And, uh, and somewhere in that process, in the first week or two, we were talking to him and, and, uh, and we asked him, well, what about those students that, you know, maybe are at homes where their parents aren't going to make sure that they're online or maybe they don't have a computer? And well, he lets know all the kids have a computer, but, but then he, 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 Gave us this little bit of information. In fact, I heard it was true of other districts as well. He said, well, dad, here's the deal is they can't fail. We can't fail them. Cause, cause whatever their grade was when all this madness stopped, that grade was locked in. Now, I guess if it was a failing grade, that would have been locked in, but said, said they, they can show up on virtual learning or they can just blow it all and not show up a single day, day and, and we can't change their grade. They're going to stay right where they are he he pointed out there was kind of a unique dynamic there were kids and and he was able to guess ahead of time which ones it would be there were kids when they found out that their grade couldn't be lowered even though they didn't attend there were kids that never showed up online that never turned in a, a, a an assignment hey i can't fail now now we'll see later in the book of hebrews that it kind of speaks against that in the church that that's not the attitude we should have that I don't have to do anything and I don't have to serve God and I don't have to try to, 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 to be holy because I can't fail. That's not what it means here. But, but there is a freedom. Cause he said there were also a group of kids that, and he, he said, I could have guessed those would be the ones too that showed up every day online and turned in their assignments because they, they knew they couldn't fail. So there was freedom. If, if their assignment wasn't good, it wasn't going to hurt their grade, but they could improve their grade. They could go from a B to an A or from a C to a B. And there's freedom knowing that even when they did their work, there was no way they could fail. And I think what 
what the writer wants us to get. Yes, there's a reality. God knows everything we do. We can't, we can't hide from him. But that shouldn't scare us. That actually should encourage us that we can't fail because even though he knows what we do, Jesus came for us and shares his divinity. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that we have the promise that in you and because of you and because of the work of Jesus on the cross, that even though you know us and you know the secrets of our heart, we can't fail in your eyes, that you see us because of Jesus as holy. Father, help us, help us take the attitude of, of being encouraged. Be encouraged to keep striving to be better. Keep striving to be more like Jesus. As the Philippians passage said, to have the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ in all that we do. Father, we thank you that Jesus shared not only his humanity, but shared with us his divinity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.